you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of Colossians, New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning, which serve as a pivotal passage in our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians regarding the nature of true spirituality. These four verses that are set before us today mark an important transition in Paul's doctrinal teaching in this letter to Paul's applicational teaching. See, it was not enough for the Colossian believers to simply know the truth that Christ is above all. They must also live it out. Followers of Christ must have a living faith, a functional faith, a faith that does more than simply lodge in the mind, but rather transforms the life, a faith that speaks not only in words, but also in actions. And so Paul carefully moves here from doctrinal instructions to, I guess you could say, doctrinal implications. If Christ is above all, and if He is to be preeminent over everything I think, believe, and do, then what does that mean on a day-to-day basis? Paul creates an inseparable union here between doctrine and living, between truths and transformation. Paul often did this in his other letters. For example, in his letter to the book of uh, to his letter to the Romans, Paul spends eleven whole chapters dedicated to the essential truths of the gospel. And then in chapter 12, verse 1, he finally transitions after 11 chapters and says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. In other words, now that you know the truth of the gospel, you must make sure that you respond to it properly. Again, in his parallel letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes three entire chapters carefully presenting the doctrines of Christ. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, he finally transitions and he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, now that you have been called to the Lord and you know Him in truth, you can now finally walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In other words, now that you have the life You can now have the lifestyle. Now that you have the truth, you can now be living in a transformed way. See, we live in a Christian culture today that has all of that backwards. And it's continually saying, no doctrine, no doctrine. Just skip through Colossians 1 and 2 and get to the good stuff in Colossians 3 and 4. Go easy on the doctrine and just tell me how to live my life. This is our world. If you doubt this, browse a Christian bookstore sometime. You'll see titles like, Don't Drop the Mic, or How to Be Better at Fighting, interesting, or How to Age Without Getting Old, or How to Win at Work and Succeed at Life. We've come a long ways from the days of the Puritans when the titles used to be the doctrine of repentance, or the rare jewel of Christian contentment, or the mystery of providence, or the heart of Christ. The Christian living sections in bookstores are ginormous, and the books written solely on understanding the doctrines of God are frankly an endangered species. 
And yet I would contend to say that our focus on lifestyle over doctrine is not producing believers that are living more pure and devoted lives to Jesus Christ today. And that is because the standards of the Christian life cannot survive where the doctrines of the Christian belief are destroyed. This is the error, by the way, of liberal Christianity. They want certain aspects of Christian virtue without the underlying truths of Christian doctrine, right? Well, they say the world says we can have brotherly love. We can have justice. We can have mercy and kindness and grace and compassion without all that truth weighing it down. We can have Colossians, in a sense, we can have aspects of Colossians 3 and 4 without the truth of Colossians 1 and 2. Well, Paul, even in the structure of his letters, tells us that is not true. That is not true. You cannot have the standards without the doctrine. You cannot have the lifestyle without the life. And I want us to remember this because if you were to forget everything that I've been teaching over the last six months and only start paying attention this morning because you say, oh, finally it gets practical, then you're going to start thinking that Paul is only teaching a different form of morality. He is not. He is presenting to us a lifestyle that naturally flows out of those who are connected to Him who is their life, Jesus Christ. And the only way you can get to this type of lifestyle in Colossians 3-4 through is being connected to Him who is described in Colossians 1 and 2. Being connected and holding fast to Him who is our life, Christ above all. The Colossian believers had frankly forgotten this. They had become doctrinally confused, adrift from Christ, and thus had fallen into a moral chaos that Paul is trying to correct here in verses in chapters 3 and 4. They had fallen into a moral chaos and thus the intimidation of false teachers. You see, because of the moral chaos caused by their doctrinal confusion, false teachers had snuck into the church and begun dispensing demonic yet plausible solutions to all of their confusion and chaos. Oh, are you morally confused? Well, then adopt our relevant philosophies. Follow our moral laws. Chase after all these exciting experiences. Adopt all of our religious restrictions. Live your life in these ways. Focus your life on these things. And then you'll be moral. Then you'll be truly spiritual. Well, Paul here in this passage says no. And we saw last week all of that externalism is absolutely powerless in dealing with indwelling sin. It is absolutely powerless to produce true holiness and true spirituality. True spirituality is being focused not on philosophy, not on legalism, not on mysticism or aestheticism. True spirituality, those who are truly spiritual in this world, are those who are focused on Christ. Having your whole being centered on Christ above all. And Paul shows us that in this morning's passage. He encourages us as true believers, as those who have been raised with Christ, to therefore focus our will our mind, and our hearts on Christ Jesus above all. And by the way, that's our outline for this morning. What is true spirituality? Is it being focused on relevance, rules, revelations, or restrictions? No, it is being focused on your Redeemer. True spirituality is focusing your will on Christ, that's in verse 1. Focusing your mind on Christ, that's in verse 2. And focusing your heart on Christ, that's in verses 3 through 4. In short, true spirituality is having a life wrapped up in and focused on Jesus to such an extent 
it transforms your ambitions. To such an extent, it transforms your thoughts. To such an extent, it transforms your affections. This is true spirituality. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1 on into verse 4. Paul writes these words. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. This is the Word of God. We are His who saves us through our seeking of His precepts. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage. As we consider how You have already taught us that All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Your Son, Jesus Christ. We get a glimpse of that this morning in this passage. Father, there are truths here that could be mine for all of eternity in just four short verses. Give us grace this morning to wonder at the glory of Jesus to have our will and our thoughts and our affections so transformed this morning that we would live lives of worship that exalt Jesus Christ above all in our ambitions, in our thoughts, and in our affections. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage really teaches us how we as Christians begin to worship Christ above all and respond to Him for who He is and what He has done for us. We've already seen in the first two chapters that it is in Christ that we have been brought into the kingdom of God. It is through Christ that we have been forgiven of all our trespasses. It is in Christ that we have entered into the family of God. It is in Christ that we have been forgiven of all of our sins. It is in Christ that we have been set free from the righteous requirements of the law. And we have been made new in Christ Jesus. When you consider everything that Christ has done for us, how then ought we to live? That's what this passage is all about. Paul begins his transition into applying the doctrine of Christ's preeminence by encouraging believers to focus your will on Christ. That's in verse 1. He says, If then you have 
been raised with Christ. And there Paul reminds us of the core spiritual reality that all of us as believers have experienced by God's grace. In Jesus, we have become united to the risen and living Christ through faith. In fact, Paul reminds us just last week, he reminded us just last week in verse 20, that with Christ, he says, we died to the things of this world, to our old way of living. And now he tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 2, that with Christ we have been raised to a whole new way of living. One that is united to Christ and is connected to His life-giving being. We have been raised with Christ. This resurrection language indicates that a radical change takes place in the heart of every believer the moment that God unites them to Christ by faith. We become new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, And we now live in a new sphere, a new spiritual sphere. Of existence. As Paul says back in chapter 1, verse 13, we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. And in that new environment, we have been raised with him, as Romans 6 4 says, to walk in a newness of life. Paul talks about this more in Ephesians 2, verse 5, when he says that when, when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We just had a baptism class this morning. Well, this is what baptism is a picture of right here. A picture of salvation. That our old life dominated by the power of sin is dead and our new life dominated by the power of Christ within us has come. We testify to that reality through the picture of baptism. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you have, believer, the resurrection life of Christ within you right now, this morning. As Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 10, we can know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Therefore, if we have been given a new life in Christ, having been raised with Him, that means we ought to live like it. A new life leads to a new lifestyle. And that's exactly what Paul teaches us next. If you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above. We know, according to other places in Scripture, Romans 3.11, that no one seeks after God. But now we're told here that when we are in Christ and have been given new hearts, we can now seek Him from the heart. As Scripture says in Psalms 27, verse 8, Psalm 63, verse 1, and many other places, we have a new life, so now we are called to a new lifestyle. One that is characterized by seeking. By seeking. That word seek is in the present tense in the Greek, meaning that Paul is telling us as believers, be constantly seeking. In other words, God here is speaking directly to the area of our ambitions and our wills. God is saying, please listen to this, God is saying that every Christian is to have a dream. God is saying that every Christian is to have an ambition. God is saying that every Christian is to have a goal, a driving purpose to your entire life that you are to be constantly seeking after, that your entire identity is to be bent towards and vigorously wrapped up in. 
Now, we all know people like this at an earthly level, right? Who have overwhelming pursuits and ambitions that nearly crowd out every other ambition in life, right? Well, you'll never get that person to go here or to do that. Why? Because their whole life is wrapped up in what? In horses or money or houses or clothes or sports or gymnastics or hunting or fishing or whatever it might be, right? They are dominated by this great seeking, this great ambition, this great pursuit. Their whole life is wrapped up in that one great dominating pursuit. It is impossible to think of that individual without also thinking about that thing that they just never stop seeking. Well, Paul says that Christians are to be exactly like that. That whenever anybody thinks of us, they are to think of our life-dominating pursuit. Which is to be a pursuit a constant seeking after of what? He says the things that are above. The things that are above. True spirituality is marked by a will that is focused on the things that are above. What things are those specifically? Well, there are many specific things that we could mention. A brief glance through the book of Revelation gives us some possibilities just to get your mind thinking. First, the glory of God is above, right? Revelation chapter 4, the first thing that John sees in his vision is a throne and the glory of the one who is seated on the throne. In Revelation chapter 5, the very next thing that the Apostle John sees is the Lamb who was slain and the glory that is given to him by the entire universe. So someone who is truly spiritual, a Christian who has the right ambition and the right goal in life, is going to be someone who is marked by a constant focus on the glory and exaltation of God the Father and of His Son Jesus Christ. They would, as Paul says later in Colossians 3.17, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So you're saying, well, okay, I'm supposed to be marked by this ambition of seeking things above. What are the things that are above? First, the glory of God is above. Are you seeking it? Second, fellowship with God is above as well. The final chapters of Revelation describe how we as believers will see God face to face and we will fellowship with Him forever. So a genuinely spiritual person, a Christian who has the right ambition and goal and drive and will focus in life will be someone who is constantly seeking after fellowship with God through His Word and in prayer. As a believer, you ought to be marked by this. Seeking after the glory of God. Seeking after fellowship with God. A third thing that is above is the kingdom of God. The direct rule of God. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 6.33 that as believers, we ought to be seeking first what? God's kingdom and his righteousness we ought to be praying for god's will to be done on earth as much as it is in heaven there's a fourth thing that's above there's the righteousness of god psalms 89 verse 14 says this righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne and so someone who, will tr- who is truly spiritual, is a Christian who has his right will and ambitions centered on the right things, will not be satisfied with their own righteousness, but rather will be hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness. As Jesus says in Matthew 5-6. We could add to that the justice of God as well. You study Revelation and God's justice fills the entire heavens and thunders out of God's sanctuary. So someone genuinely spiritual, a Christian who has his focus correctly will be a person yearning for biblical justice and is burdened over wickedness and sin. As Micah 6.8 says, What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? 
Finally, we could add another thing that is above, and that is the joy of God. In His presence is fullness of joy. Psalm 16.11 says, So someone who is truly spiritual will be living to hear these words one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Master. So someone who's truly spiritual will not be focused on relevance or rules, on revelations or restrictions. They'll be focused on pursuing the glory, fellowship, kingdom, righteousness, justice, and joy of God. And that is, by the way, just a sliver of all the things that are above that we as Christians ought to be seeking after, and we are told elsewhere we ought to be seeking after. But what is interesting this morning, what's very interesting is that Paul does not mention any of these things. He says we ought to be seeking the things that are above where who is? Where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. See, of all the things that we as Christians should seek after, primarily we should seek after Christ. We should be preoccupied with Him. Our lives should be wrapped up in Him who is Himself, the ruler and fulfillment of all those things we could ever mention that are above. So you want to live for the glory of God? Christ is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3. You want to experience fellowship with God? Christ is the way to the Father, the way to fellowship with God. You want to seek first the kingdom of God? Christ is the king of the kingdom of God. You want to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God? Christ is the embodiment of the righteousness of God. Do you want to see more of the justice of God? Christ is the deliverer of the justice of God. And do you want to experience the joy of God? Christ is the absolute, absolute center of the Father's delight and joy. So I don't want you to miss this, as I'm sure the Colossians did not. All the things that are above, all the things which we are to seek, they are all found where, according to this verse? In, legal, in laws, in experiences, in revelations? No, in Christ alone. Where Christ is. And according to Ephesians 1.3, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places are found where? In Christ. And according to Colossians 1.19, all the fullness of God is found where? In Christ. Okay. And according to Colossians 2.3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found where? And according to Colossians 2.10, we are filled where? In Christ. Do you get the point? Paul is saying, stop centering your dreams, Christian. Stop centering your ambitions, Christian, on chasing after worldly things that only matter to you. Stop it. It did not say that you, believer, are to be preeminent over all things. It says Christ is to be preeminent over all things. Christ is Lord not over, only over heaven and earth. Christ is to be Lord over your dreams and ambitions. Yes, Christian, you are to be filled with dreams, but those dreams are not up, left up to you to decide what they will be. Have you ever realized that? I don't know how many years of my life I was sitting there thinking, what am I going to do with my life? When really the question should have been, what has Christ commanded me to do with my life?
stop centering your dreams and ambitions on chasing after worldly things that only matter to you. Center them on Christ, that in all things He might be preeminent. This is worship. Is He worthy of your dreams and ambitions? Of your will and your zeal and your energy? This is my application. This is Paul's application. If you know Christ to be above all, Believer, dream great things for Christ. After all, He is the worthy one who is seated at the right hand of God. He is the worthy one who is seated at the right hand of God. You see the connection now to our previous chapters? You thought that doctrine was just boring stuff. It is essential to understanding Paul's application. Because Christ is supreme and sufficient, because He has been elevated to the position of highest honor and sovereignty, because He is ruler over creation, redemption, the church, and all things, therefore Christ must rule over my dreams, my goals, my ambitions, and my life as well. I must make my life a living sacrifice to Him. As you received, as Paul said back in Colossians 2.6, as you received Christ Jesus as what? Lord, so walk in Him. How? As Lord. As Lord. Oh, beloved, do you truly believe this morning have come to know that Christ is above all? Then focus your will on Christ above all. Attempt great things for Jesus. And I have to share with you because this is what was convicting for me this week. Many of us here, no doubt, have lots of plans and great ambitions for ourselves. Beyond this, many of us here, doubtless, have lots of plans and great ambitions for our dear children. And our families, that means so much to us. But who among us here has great plans and ambitions for Jesus Christ? For accomplishing great things for Him, for His honor, His glory, His name. I remind you of Scripture. Beloved, you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies, which is God's. Focus your will on Christ above and fill yourself with great plans and ambitions for His kingdom and glory. And I could have just continued this morning and moved on to the rest of the verses and said, hey, let's keep this at a very general level. Or it actually doesn't encourage any change in my life. No. If you haven't yet grabbed something to write with, I'll wait. Seriously, we're at the application point of this letter. If you thought my doctrinal sections went slow, you have not seen anything yet. So first, take your pen, 
I want you to write down these four questions. Because again, this is not about filling our minds with knowledge, is it? This is about giving our lives to Christ. This is about responding to the gospel for the glory of God. How do I do that? How many Christians have surrendered their eternal destinies to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and yet cling so tenaciously to their dreams and ambitions for their own life? I want you to take your pen write down these four questions first. Ask yourself, where has God put me? This is an activity I want you to do this afternoon or sometime this week. This is going to be setting us up for the rest of this study in the book of Colossians, honestly. First, ask, where has God put me? In your marriage? In your family? In your church? Neighborhood, school, workplace, nation, planet? You might think of other categories. But where has God put me? Second, ask yourself the question, what has God commanded me? In each of these specific spheres, What has God commanded me to do in my marriage, my family, my church, my neighborhood, my school, my workplace, my nation, my planet? If you come up with blanks and you're like, I have no idea what God's commanded me, you can cheat and look ahead in Colossians 3 and 4. It might give you some ideas. But what should my ambitions be? What has God commanded me to do here? Third, ask yourself the question, how am I going to obey In other words, what might it look like when I put feet to the truth of what God's commanding me to do? Specifically, what will it look like? With whom will it look like? What's my plan? What steps might God want me to take to accomplish these ambitions? So where has God put me? What has God commanded me? How am I going to obey? And fourth, when am I going to do it? When am I going to do it? So where has God put me? How has God, what has God commanded me? How am I going to obey and when am I going to do it? Answer those four questions. It might take you a while. You can spend the rest of this week. That's okay. Second, after you answer those questions, I want you to pray over your answers. Pray over your answers and let God burden your heart over them. So that it would not just be words on paper, but it would be ambitions in your heart. And then third, I want to encourage you to share your answers with me or one of the elders or another trusted leader in this church. Why? So that we can pray for and help you accomplish those ambitions, help you focus your will on Christ above all and attempt great things for Him. Because I guarantee you, God has given you those burdens and, you, and, and those ambitions and you are not to fulfill them alone on your own. It takes the whole body of Christ together to honor Christ in all of these areas. Because that's why we're here, right? That in all things, He might be preeminent. Perhaps some of you are thinking, oh, pastor, come on, man, look around. As I thought of myself this week, God could never use me to accomplish anything great for him i'm just a nobody the obstacles around me the obstacles within me they're just too great and i'm too weak and it's impossible what are you talking about having ambitions but that is not true 
That is not true. This entire passage, do you see it? Verse 1. This entire passage is an argument of what is possible. Of course your heavenly ambitions are going to set you against the world, the flesh, and the devil, but you are united to Him who is seated where? At the right hand of God in power. And with Him, all things are possible. All things are possible. That's why you could have a man like William Carey write this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. How can he say that? Because if you're connected to Christ, you are connected to Him who is seated at the right hand of God. You are not in this alone. Attempt great things for Christ. Focus your will on Him. Again, I had hoped to finish this passage today, but we'll have to do that next week since this first verse sets the stage for everything else. But in conclusion, I want to finish with a story that took place a while back. A young man sat among a large congregation, and he made it about as far as the final hymn sung before the message when finally this young man could take it no more. He ran out of the church into the nearby beach, overcome with spiritual agony in his heart. While that large congregation of nearly a thousand Christians or more sat contentedly with crossed arms, singing songs, complacent in their own security, this young man could not stop thinking that millions more were perishing for lack of knowledge. Millions in China who had never even heard the name of Jesus Christ were headed to an eternity in hell. While that congregation, as the young man put it later, engaged in smug, self-satisfied singing. Coming every week just to get, and to get, and to get, and never stirred at all within to give. Filled with plans for themselves, while absent of all plans for God. And beyond this, the young man was burdened to see so many skilled and gifted young people within the congregation, doctors, teachers, welders, technicians, who seemingly had no ambitions, no dreams, no desire to attempt great things for Christ either there or anywhere else. So as he walked the sands of that beach, that young man cried out to God, give me just 24 people to take back to China with me to begin a work in that vast area for the glory of Christ. Within 12 months, he left on the boat with 24 laborers two for every province of China. His name was Hudson Taylor. His fellow laborers were the birth of the China Inland Mission. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, you have been raised with Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. Therefore, attempt great things for him this week focus your will on christ above all we'll have to finish this passage next week but for now this is the word of god from colossians 3 1 which i now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience in those ways i suggested until he comes to that end let's pray father we thank you for your word
We thank You for how it reveals to us the glory of Jesus Christ. That it brings us to see His wonder and His worth. But Father, how it does more than that. We thank You that Your will cuts to the heart. We thank You for how it speaks to our entire being. We thank You for how it encourages us to bow the knee not only in our faith to Jesus Christ, but in our will, our dreams, and our ambitions. So Father, we have a task set before us as a church this week. Help us to be faithful. Help us to consider where You've put us. Help us to consider what You have commanded us to do in these areas. And from those ambitions, Father, give us grace to put plans into action to attempt great things for the honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, starting in this place, and I pray, by Your grace, around the world. For we are Your people and the sheep of Your pasture. May we follow You faithfully as our Savior and Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.